All right. Well, let's get started. Otherwise, Jared's going to kill me. We're after six, so we'll get rolling. I'm going to pray, and then we'll start. Father, um, thank you. <clears throat> thank you for uh, your leadership of us. Father, we thank you that you are a good shepherd and uh, that you lead this family well. And uh, we thank you for um, instructing us and teaching us your ways and your word and by your spirit. I ask that tonight as we go forward and we proceed that you'd bring life to uh, these words. I ask that you would open eyes and pierce hearts and uh, that your word would go forth and produce great fruit. We love you. Amen. All right. Well, last week we did some um, relationship stuff, worked our way into the marriage relationship, and as is my uh, habit, so to speak, um, we're going to take a slight detour, just a little one, um, as we work toward marriage and relationships, and we're going to talk about leadership. Um, because there are a number of reasons, um, but one is that in the kingdom there is authority, and there are different levels of authority, and um, not everyone is on the same level of authority. And I think it's, uh, I don't know, I was hear Ryan saying it, I don't know who he's quoting or if he just came up with it, but um, the kingdom does not have a round table. And so relationships also function within the realm of authority. And I want to spend some time talking about leadership. I want to talk a little bit about authority, but mostly I want to talk about leadership. And specifically, there are, uh, we live in a culture in which I consider there's probably more leadership books on shelves right now today, and yet there is a genuine void of leadership like we maybe have never had at least in our country. And so how is it that there are more leadership books and conferences out there and less true leaders? What's impeding that? I don't know. I'm just asking you questions. You guys figure it out. But what I want to talk about is leadership style. There are a lot of different leadership styles. There are a lot of different attributes. And I want to talk about the leadership style that we hold to in this church that we believe is biblical. It's, uh, it's been Pastor Tuttle's leadership style as long as I've known him. Maybe he developed it. Maybe he's always had it. I don't know. But we refer back to the New Testament and the Old Testament, but the New Testament leadership style to establish what is life supposed to look like, what is family and church and business and um, all relationships what are they supposed to look like as they function in the realm of authority, leadership, and followership, so to speak? So one thing I want to um, hone in on, thank you, is uh, <clears throat> I want to hone in on leadership style as it pertains to character. Um, I've read a ton of leadership books, and I've been to a lot of leadership seminars and training, and most of them are stupid um, because they're telling you that only uh, one-tenth of one percent of the population is able to be a leader. And that's, that's typically what you hear at a leadership seminar is that 
if you're uh, very persuasive, very charismatic, very passionate, very smooth, very zealous, good speaking, good presentation, people like you, they want to be around you. If you're all those things, well, then you can be a leader. And if you're not, well, you suck at life and you go home feeling frustrated. And so those things are all personality attributes. One person is going to express passion more so than another. One is going to be more persuasive with their speech than another, and that's persuasive in a good fashion. Um, One is going to be more even-keeled. And these are personality differences. However, I would assert that any personality type is able to lead. True leadership is birthed out of character and out of an an individual's uh, drive out of that character far more than the personality attributes that make one maybe a little bit better, a little bit worse of a leader. So if, um, if we're basing our entire leadership strategy on trying to be charismatic, we're in a world of hurt. Um, it could also explain some problems that we're having nationally, just FYI. So we're not going to look at the personality traits um, because they're simply going to strengthen these character leadership skills. And the personality complements that I'm talking about are such things as persuasiveness, charisma, or passion. Okay, so we're not going to look at any of those things. So what we're going to call this leadership for, just because I want to, um, we're going to call it trust-based leadership. I couldn't come up with a better name. If I were more creative, great. If you come up with something better, please let me know. But we're going to call it trust-based leadership for tonight, and tomorrow when someone comes up with a better word, we'll use that. But trust-based leadership allows for the development and growth of an organization as individuals are entrusted and trusted to grow, develop, initiate, and lead in ways they may be unqualified for when they begin. Trust-based leadership allows people to become what they could not have been had they not been entrusted with more than they should have been. Allows people to become what they could not have been had they not been entrusted with more than they should have been. Allows a continual development of leadership and growth of an organization as the following attributes are implemented. These attributes, they're biblical leadership attributes. You see them manifested in the life of Jesus. You will then see them manifested in the life of the apostles. They're leadership attributes. We can get into chapter and verse another time, but for the sake of what we're going to cover, they're principles that are pulled out of the life of Jesus. If you want to look at, for example, allows people to become what they could not have been had they not been entrusted with more than they should have been, Jesus entrusted the well-being and the future of his church with 12 amateurs. No smart leader would ever have done this had they not been trusting someone with more than they were qualified to be trusted with. Okay, so first and foremost, a great leader is always a great follower. A great leader is first and foremost a great follower. Um, I learned this when I came uh, swooping in, ready to lead nations, having been a Christian for all of 
six weeks and discovered that, hey, if you don't learn to follow, you will never lead. And light bulb moment, but um, very, very awakening that if you didn't have the attributes of a good follower, you would not have the attributes that make a great leader. A great follower embraces the vision and mission of the leader as his own. A great follower throws his resources into the expansion of the leader's vision. Resources being talents, abilities, time, energy, money, whatever it is. Whatever you have about you, those are your resources. Could be your skill set, your talents, your ability to preach, speak, persuade, love, minister, serve, give, whatever. A great follower throws his resources into the expansion of the leader's vision. The apostles did this with Jesus. They also did the first one with Jesus. They embraced his vision and mission as their own. This is a really important one. A great follower is trustworthy. A great follower is trustworthy. The fastest way to eliminate yourself from being a part of a trust-based leadership style is to violate confidence and trust. When a follower shares with others things his leader shared with him in confidence, he removes himself from being a part of this leadership style because he's no longer trustworthy. You can't be a part of trust-based leadership if you are not trustworthy. Failure, error, and quitting may all be overcome, but betrayal cannot be until the betrayer has repented and been restored. But trust takes time to rebuild. So to be a great follower, you must be trustworthy. What this means is, put it in a context of, say, SLM, just for ease of um, conversation. Say you have a small group leader, and we'll use Cody, for example, because we discussed this last week. If you are um, unwilling to share um, your heart, don't be around Cody, uh, because he will crack you open. He just can't. I don't know how, he just can't. And so he has an innate ability to be able to, to develop relationship and open people up in ways that they wouldn't, wouldn't do so otherwise. And we were discussing this last week. So let's say Cody, in an effort to um, cause you to open up yourself, he shares something. Uh, let's say Cody's my leader, and in a group, Cody shares things about his life with me. And he's doing it to try to get me to open up about my life and my experience and my fears. And, and, and so he shares things with me about himself. And then I turn around and I go tell my buddies all the stuff that Cody told me about himself. I just violated trust. I eliminate myself as being able to function in a trust-based leadership style. Trustworthiness as a follower is so important. And trustworthiness as a leader is essential. So if you don't develop trustworthiness as a follower, you will never get opportunity to lead. A great follower is trusting. If one does not trust his leader, he will not follow his leader nor heed his advice. A great follower is humble. A follower that believes he knows more than his leader or everyone else makes a lousy follower. 
A great follower is loyal. Commitment to the protection and success of the leader is essential. Great followers are loyal. We talked about that, I think, a week or two ago when we were talking about Noah's sons. And two of his sons, they protected his dignity and his honor when his third son shamed him. A great follower is loyal. They're committed to the protection and success of the leader. A great follower has self-discipline. This is in the form of initiative and devotion to the vision. Individuals prone to acts of compulsion lack the discipline needed to follow or lead over the long term. Individuals who are unable to motivate themselves, which is self-control, will be incapable of true leadership over extended periods of time. They make good slaves, but not good sons, and sons make leaders, slaves make workers. What that means is, if someone's constantly having to come to you and push you along and push you along and push you along, that means you lack self-control. Initiative is simply self-control into forward motion. And so, slaves are workers, and they need someone to constantly come and say, come on, move it along, move it along, you got to do something, do something, do something. That's not the initiative required to be a leader. A leader has the self-control to take action of their own accord. And a good follower catches the vision of the leader and says, I'm going to go do something to grow, increase, and expand my leader's vision. And I'm going to do it in my own initiative. A great follower has self-control, self-discipline. A really great follower recognizes and appreciates what his leader has done for him. Boy, I'll tell you, I had a lot of great things done for me by my leaders that I did not appreciate in value and um, show gratitude for until just the last couple of years. And those things had been done all along, but I just hadn't acknowledged it. Um, So really great followers recognize and appreciate what their leaders have done for them. All right, so those are some of the This is by far not an exhaustive list, um, but those are some baseline uh, attributes of a solid follower that are character issues. They are not personality issues. They are character issues. Now, we're going to get into some leadership things. A leader believes in the follower. So we just talked about ourselves as becoming good followers. Now we're going to talk our, about ourselves as being good leaders or in the respect of or being led. Okay? A leader believes in his or her followers. I say this one first because in, it may be the most important. If you do not believe in the people you are leading, quit leading. Just give it up. Get out. Because if you don't think they're going to come forward into something that they're not right now, why are you doing what you're doing other than to make yourself feel better? If your leadership lacks belief in the people you're leading, it's religious activity. Leaders must believe in the people they're leading. This does not mean the people they're leading are perfect. This does not mean that the person must have the attributes that make themselves someone to be believed in. 
This means a leader has a core trust in God's ability to bring transformation, and they're hopeful and confident that he who begins a good work is able to bring it to completion. And he'll allow us to participate in that process as we lead. A leader has vision for his or her followers that they could not imagine for themselves. A leader should be able to look at someone and see what they could be even though that person could never dream it for themselves. This does not mean making stuff up. This does not mean engineering a lie. This means an ability to see what a person's potential is when they can see nothing in themselves but failure. A leader is hopeful. Leaders have a core hope about them for other people. This does not mean that when someone has exhausted the resources of the leader and that they have, they have chosen to go a different route, that the leader won't release them and let them go. But a leader is hopeful for the success and the growth of the people that they're leading. A leader sees potential. A leader sees in a person what that person cannot see in themselves. A leader humbly believes that the person they lead is as capable of handling issues and the same issues as the leader is. That's a tough one. (laughs) If you don't know, think about this. You're in a situation where you are really good at something. It's part of your job. And yet, your duty is to raise up someone else to be as good or better than you are. And so you've got to hand over responsibility to someone to do something that you could do perfectly well on your own. One of the greatest impediments for people becoming great leaders is that they want to be doers more than they want to be leaders. A doer just gets in and they just do it themselves. And that doesn't help anyone become more than what they are in the time, in the time being. We're getting there in a minute. But. A leader sees the individual as what they will become as they grow into fullness. It's said of God that he can see the end from the beginning. And as a leader, one of the things that we have to do is ask God, God, give us a vision of what this person's going to be at the end from the beginning. I want to see what he's going to be when he's in fullness the moment that I first shake his hand and we start on a course together. A leader invests in a follower deeply over time, commits to them, encouraging them and calling out the greatness in them until they become it, and then with them as they walk it. A leader is an encourager. Leaders develop and choose to develop long-term commitments, long-term relationships. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it personal for a second. 
in SLM, the temptation is, I have a small group, I'm going to hang out with them one night a week for an hour and a half, and then we're done. And that's it. And that's my obligation, is to spend an hour and a half with them. And I got my group done, and it went well, and, you know, we had a good time, and see you on Thursday night. That is not leadership. That's not leadership. Leadership is getting into the lives of the people that have been put around you day in day out over the long term I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you an admission um, my closest friends in the world today I would never have chosen for myself 5-10 years ago we share little in common as far as uh, enjoyable sports activities or um, you know going to soup kitchens or you know anything we, we share little in common a couple of my friends we both like to run Unfortunately, uh, never together, so they run regularly, and I just gain weight. Um, <laughs> we share little in common. In the past, my friendships were, hey, we play hockey together, so our first love is our common ground. We, we base our friendships around our political alliances or the people that we hang out with, and, and we share like interests. But what I've come to discover is, in leadership, you choose to commit to someone whether or not you would have chosen them as a friend over the long haul. And often what develops is an affection and appreciation for someone who's different than you that you never would have enjoyed had you not made that commitment in the first place. <clears throat> a leader commits to people for the long term and then encourages them as they become the greatness that they got to see since the beginning. A leader will challenge, chastise, or rebuke a follower when they get off course. A leader is courageous and sacrificially loving in this way. So this leader, they're going to see what a person could become and what God has in store for them. And they, more than anything else, are going to challenge, encourage exhort them along the path into that greatness that they see in that individual. And they're going to warn them away from the things that endanger them becoming that greatness that they could be. And often they're warning them away from activities and these things get confused for, why are you trying to come between me and this thing? I can do this if I want to. Yes, but it's a distraction that's leading you away from becoming what the Lord wants for you to be. You're flirting with things that you need not flirt with. It's endangering you becoming everything that God desires for you to be. You're endangering the relationship with you and God when you flirt with things that you're not meant to flirt with. A leader is courageous and sacrificially loving on behalf of the person they're leading. So a leader believes A leader delegates. Some people are really good at this. <laughs> you do it. Some people are horrible. There's a reason that delegation is essential for leadership. A leader entrusts responsibility to his or her followers because he believes they can be something great. A leader trusts. I just gave you an example it's often easier just to do it 
than to take the time to teach someone else how to do it, and you could just do it in 10 minutes. I don't know why I'm going through this. I'm just going to do it. You just don't even worry about it, dude. I got it. I got it. And what you did was you just prevented them from growing into something they could have been that they never will be as long as we do tasks for them. A essential, an essential attribute of a leader is a willingness to release responsibility and allow someone else to take it on and do it for them. If responsibility is not given to a follower, they will never produce anything. This is like totally common sense, but if a man is not given a field, he will not produce any crops. I mean, this is the most basic of logic. But in leadership, we're so often afraid that if I give someone responsibility, they're going to blow it, that we don't give them anything and they can't produce any fruit. Leaders must give responsibility to followers. At times, those responsibilities must be clearly defined. For others, you simply turn them loose and tell them it's, it's their field. Here, here's some land. Go do something with it. Have you seen Jeremy and Emily's garden plot? You just give them the land. Farm field. You give me the land, you're going to have to give me a graph, chart and scatter graph, figure out where to plant everything. But sometimes you need to clearly define responsibility. Sometimes you just hand it over and they run. A lot of that depends on the initiative that the follower has. On that note, I forgot... If you signed up to do something, like clean the kitchen after lunch, do it. You signed up. No one has shown up except for two people this last week that I don't even think actually signed up. So we went three weeks without anyone signing up for what they signed up, or showing up for what they signed up to do. If you want responsibility, you have to do something with it. I want to pastor a church. Sure. Shake people's hand when they come in the door. No, thank you. Well, if you can't be entrusted with this, how are you going to be entrusted with something greater? But, however, that said, Matt Hill, our lead usher at the time, bravo. He had some solid handshakes. Uh, team, the team looked good. <clears throat> Responsibility creates initiative. As leaders hold followers accountable for their areas of responsibility. Let me explain it like, like this. If I'm given responsibility for a business or a small group or a task, and my leader never holds me accountable, never asks me what I'm producing with my responsibility... I will never develop the initiative to do well, much less improve that with which I began. Does this make sense? Example. You give someone a field. Here, it's a field. You'd like to see a garden because it's your field and you're trusting someone else to care for that field. And you give it to someone else and say, here, I got a field for you. And then you wander off and you come back a year later and they planted a carrot. And you're like, cool, carrot, woo! The most that garden will ever be is a carrot. 
because you didn't hold them accountable and you didn't give them a standard to which they could rise to. If a leader has low expectations for a follower when responsibility is given, the leader will not hold the follower accountable to as high of a standard as could have been achieved. Side note, accountability is not micromanaging. It's not. If you give someone a field and they're enabled and empowered to produce crops, for heaven's sake, please do not show up with them when they go to plant that and make sure that you're following them with a the yardstick to see if every seed is deep enough and the right drip amount of water is going to... That's micromanaging. Micromanaging is not leadership. It's control. It's fear. Accountability, however, says, hey, you've got a field. What did you do with it? How's it looking? Did you get everything planted? How's it been going? That's accountability. You're asking them what they're taking action upon rather than measuring in minute detail every decision that they make. One's micromanaging and it kills. The other is in accountability and it brings life. It brings initiative. It brings action. Often it will be the leader's expectation and belief for outstanding production that causes the follower to rise to a higher standard. Leaders, when you give responsibility and you set high standards for your followers, you are setting the bar to which they will perform. I have seen this so many times, all I can tell you is it's true. And I've seen it the opposite, and it kills, it kills people. You give them responsibility, and you don't think they can do anything because you don't believe in them. So when you give them responsibility, you're just like, here, just please don't mess this up. It's your responsibility, and I'll be back to micromanage every detail of decision that you make in the next six months, but please just don't kill this. They're going to just barely not kill it. But if you give someone responsibility and you're like, you can turn this thing into Farmville. I don't even know what that is, but it's got to be something to do with vegetables in a garden. You could turn this into anything. It could be like... Monsanto. <gasps> Just kidding. That was a joke. I was waiting for somebody to throw a spear. You give them a garden and you cast a vision of what they could aspire to. You set a standard and that standard is what people that don't believe they can will aspire to if you believe in them. I've seen this in the workplace where you turn responsibility over to someone and they go, I could never do that. And you're like, you liar. I know you can do it. You can do it and you're going to take it. And three months later, suddenly they're doing things that they never thought they could and it even goes beyond your belief in what they could accomplish. People will rise to, the, to perform and they will, they will aspire to the standard that you set for them and to which you hold them accountable. Now, leaders, when you give responsibility, you must be comfortable having the follower receive credit and praise for their work. Leaders push others into the spotlight and don't need the credit for their leadership or creating the opportunity. 
That could be a tough one for leaders. When they give someone the garden, they believe in this person, they tell them how great they're going to be. You're going to be amazing. You're going to have the best garden on the earth. It's going to be amazing. You're going to have carrots as long as my arm. And then they do, and the leader's like, and everyone's like, man, Johnny, great garden. And the leader's like, I gave him the land. I believed in him. It was me. And leaders have to be okay letting the follower receive the credit for the work they did, even though you may have been the one believing and driving and empowering and the whole bit. You've got to be okay that they get the credit, the glory. And actually, a great leader will delight more in someone he's leading being praised than when he's praised himself. Next thing, a leader empowers or gives authority. A leader gives authority along with responsibility. A leader empowers and does not control. That means that a leader is generous. Remember when Jesus gave the disciples the Great Commission, go make disciples of all nations? He's like, just go figure it out. No, he said, I give you power. I give you authority to go and make disciples of all nations. Heal the sick. Cleanse the... He's giving them authority with responsibility. Leaders, when you give responsibility, if you don't give authority, you will kill everything good that could grow. When a person is given responsibility, the leader must also give the authority to not only fulfill the responsibility, but also increase it. When someone is given responsibility, the worst thing a leader can do is to remove the follower's authority and require that all decisions must first be approved by the superior. Okay, this one's huge, and it's hard for so many of us. You give someone a responsibility, here, I want you to do this. But you better not make a decision on anything without checking with me first. Here, Matt, you know, here's my car keys. My taillight got banged out, sweet little old lady. She'll get over it. She's got a walker. Um, but I need you to get my car fixed up for me. Here's the keys. And Matt goes, calls a mechanic. Hey, I got this taillight. I need some help. Sends it over there. Calls me up. Hey, I dropped the car off at the mechanic. What were you thinking? And I blow up and freak out because you didn't check with me first. You got to check with me. That's my car. If you give responsibility, you give authority. I'm giving you the responsibility to, fi- uh, to fix my car. I'm giving you the authority to make every decision needed to get my car repaired. Authority and responsibility must be given together, and they must match. Trust-based leadership means that I trust Matt, that if he doesn't know and he has a question, he's going to come to me and say, hey, I'm not sure what to do about this. What do you think I should do? We're going to get there in a second, too. purpose for giving authority is to provide the follower with the power needed to fulfill their responsibility. Beyond that, when authority is given with responsibility and accountability, the follower will initiate growth beyond their area of responsibility. This is the goal. This is when it gets beautiful. If you give a man a responsibility of a garden in a field, and you give him the authority to make the garden as great as he can, he may just tear down the fence and turn the garden into a farm. 
that's the goal of trust-based leadership, is that with responsibility comes authority. Here, here's the garden. It's in a field. Make a beautiful garden. And this guy goes, why is there a fence? I know how to garden. And he turns the entire field into a farm. And if you had said, I'm going to let you do the garden thing, but I want you to check with me before you plant anything and make sure that I'm on the right page and that we're, we're together on this because I want you getting things out of whack. Then your garden remains the same size and the rest of the land around it remains undeveloped. But if you give someone authority with their responsibility, it allows them to expand and make greater the area of responsibility that you gave them when it started. Again, when your follower turns your garden into a farm, you must be willing to allow them the credit and the glory. If they choose to point to you and praise your leadership for giving them the opportunity, it's up to them. But you as a leader cannot need praise for creating opportunity for others. Leaders are secure and they are not self-promoting. Leaders promote and praise their followers. Likewise, if you gave someone a garden and they turned it into a farm and someone comes to you and is like, man, your farm is amazing, you're going to deflect it and say, no, he's the guy who did it. And, as was mentioned earlier, great followers will recognize and praise their leaders for giving them the opportunity. Jesus embodies this most perfectly when every time something of praise is lauded on him, he points to the Father who gave him the authority with which to do it. The second worst thing a leader can do when they give someone responsibility is to undercut their authority. First worth, worst, worth, I am Elisa. Um, <laughs> she, uh, the worst thing I can do is not give them authority with responsibility. The second most damaging thing I can do is undercut authority once it's been given along with responsibility. This can happen by doing someone's job for them or by not supporting the follower's decisions. To give someone responsibility and authority and then do their job for them is to kill the growth of the follower's initiative and leadership. So you give them responsibility and they go to enact something and you go, no, I'm just going to do it for you. You gave them the authority and then you just cut it right out from under them. Or they do it and you go, no, I'm going to go, I, now I have to go fix it for you. Thanks, you just made more work for me. How this is uh, made um, manifest is often by publicly reversing a follower's decision, which breaks their confidence. More appropriately, one should speak privately to the follower and allow the follower to repair the mistake themselves. So in a leadership situation someone goes and does something and they make a mistake rather than go, hey, you know, Josh made a mistake. Now I'm going to go have to fix it for him. He created more work. I'm going to grab Josh and I'm going to say, hey, man, this probably would have been a better approach. And then I'm going to let Josh go fix it himself so that to the public, he does not look like he did anything wrong. 
it looks like he figured it out and he went and repaired it and that maintains his honor and it builds his confidence rather than having him feel like, oh, that idiot, he's just going to do everything for me. I'm not going to try anything on my own from now on. So when um, responsibility is given, authority must be given with it. You must empower them. Let them make their own decisions. A leader supports is the next thing. Supports means builds confidence. A leader cares for their follower by providing support, aid, encouragement, and counsel. Support, aid, encouragement, and counsel. The leader will provide checkups to make themselves available for support or encouragement. So rather than, hey, where'd you mess up this week? <clears throat> the leader watches the follower to ensure they're okay, that they're above water, and they make themselves available for support as needed. Hey, it's really easy. Hey, how you doing this week? Question mark, question mark, question mark, smiley face. I'm okay, kind of struggling. Cool, well, if you want to talk, just let me know. Winky face. <laughs> and that opens a door for the follower to initiate, I need help. Leaders, you must check up on people throughout the week. You can't just show up to the group one night and then not see them for another week and not ask them, hey, how you doing? Hey, how's it going? It's easy these days. Use technology for your advantage. You can call them if you want. But, never mind, I won't say what I was going to say. <laughs> but you can send a text message from the bathroom. <laughs> Just kidding, it's, it's over the top. Summer's, summer's mad. <laughs> so the leader... You must watch the follower to ensure they're okay and check up on them throughout the week. The leader walks along with the follower over the years, supporting, encouraging, and believing. When the follower finally comes into their confidence, it makes walking alongside them more joyous because the walk together continues on. Once a person comes into their own and they become confident as a leader, that's not the end of the relationship. It just means that there's going to be a lot more joy and there's a lot more sharing rather than helping. But leaders, you must know the condition of your flock. That means you must check on how they're doing. Just asking them, how are you? Follower, we have to be honest. Trust. You have to be trustworthy and trusting. So if a leader asks me something and I lie to them, I'm a bad follower. And I cannot blame my leader if I'm a bad follower. A leader cares about his flock and will force his way into their lives. Right, Cody? He won't say no. A leader cares about his flock and forces his way into their lives. The leader will provide counsel when it is sought for the sake of providing experience and wisdom. Often when counsel is sought, a leader is best served, ask, best served asking what would you do? Because the follower often knows the correct answer but lacks the confidence to enact it of his own accord. 
The leader builds confidence in the follower by allowing the follower to come to the correct conclusions on his own. In leadership, when people come into my office and ask me a question, nine times out of ten, I ask them, what would you do? What do you think? I know what I think, but you tell me what you think. We're probably going to think the same thing. But what's more important here isn't getting the right answer. The more important thing is here, you knowing and finding out you have the right answer. This is essential leadership, guys, because people come to you with questions and you just fire off the answers. They will keep coming to you and developing dependence upon your answers to make decisions for their lives. And that does not develop leadership in them. Leadership is developed when someone comes in and says, hey, I'm in this situation. I don't know what to do. You know what? I think you do. I think you probably know exactly what you need to do. Why don't you tell me what you would do, and then I'll tell you what I would do if I was you. And they tell you exactly what you would have told them, and you go, see, you don't need me. That's leadership. Leadership is creating a confidence in the follower that they have and can find the right decisions on their own. In leadership, I do not want to be needed. You are needed, but I don't want to be needed. So there's a tension. You're pulling away. People need to be able to come to you and ask you things, but your goal is to create an ability for them to walk on their own. This creates some funny situations, though. This can create situations where the follower now starts to think that he or she is more qualified or knows more than the leader. But you know what? It's okay. Because a leader is more concerned with the confidence of the follower than with being recognized and praised as a great leader. A leader is more concerned with the confidence of the follower than with being recognized and praised as a great leader. While providing counsel at times is appropriate, if a dependence for advice develops, the organization and the individual will cease growing. If they can't make a decision without you, their growth stops. But a leader will be slow to speak, but when they speak, they'll speak with wisdom as it's appropriate. So a great leader now believes delegates, empowers, and supports someone else without ever needing praise for what they've done. Leaders are selfless. This last part is is very important. A leader protects. So a leader does not publicly blame their followers when they err, and they aid the follower when cleaning up mistakes. When you trust someone with leadership, with responsibility, and you give them authority, they are going to make mistakes. If they don't make mistakes, they're probably not trying to advance their area of responsibility enough. You should make mistakes. Let me put it that way. You should make mistakes. But you should learn from every one of your mistakes and make them valuable. If you never make a mistake, you're probably not pushing hard enough. A leader will allow the follower to fix his own mistakes. This honors the follower, and it 
establishes credibility for him as one who takes responsibility for his actions. If someone makes a mistake, the thing that makes them most credible for me is when they come back and they say, I messed up. I learned a really valuable lesson, but I made a mistake. And then the leader says, great, you learned something from it? Yeah, I did. You know what you would do differently? Yep. Then go fix it. Trust-based leadership means when you're given responsibility and you're given authority and you make a mistake, you clean it up. And we will trust you to clean it up. But we're not going to get in your way because that's going to reflect poorly on you. If you go start something and your leader has to come in and clean up the mess because you left it and you made a mistake, that reflects poorly on you and it just makes people more dependent on a leader. But when you take, act, take responsibility for your actions where you erred and you go in and you clean up your mess and you learn your lesson, you both become a greater leader. It establishes your credibility. And it honors you as you were someone who went in and fixed what you'd done wrong. This also protects the leader-follower relationship by allowing mistakes to be admitted by the offender rather than being announced publicly by the leader. So sometimes you don't need to announce it publicly like, hey, Charlie blew it last week when he did this. But you're announcing it publicly when you jump in and clean up my mess for me. A better model is to pull someone aside and say, hey, how do you think this went? is a disaster. Okay? Would you do things the same way next time? No. What would you do differently? i do this. Did you learn some lessons? Yeah, I learned this, 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 and this, and this. What do, we think, what do you think we should do about the current situation? <laughs> Somebody needs to clean it up. Oh, yeah, I'll go clean it up. Good, you clean it up. So now the relationship is protected. The dignity, the honor of the offender is protected, and their credibility is established. And a leader makes room for failure and isn't afraid of it. When you trust someone with an area of responsibility and you give them authority, you know they're going to make mistakes. They are. But it's more valuable to have someone who is a confident leader developed with some mistakes along the way, than never having that leader developed. It's far more costly to never have a mistake made and lack leadership in the next generation. One of the greatest killers of growth of an organization is when a group of people gets to a place and they say, we're good, we're mature, we've got it together, we'll just run and people can follow us, we'll be great, we won't make mistakes, we know what to do, and it dies with them. They have thousands of followers, but no new leaders are developed because they were terrified of letting people make a mistake. Great leaders trust the next generation knowing they're going to make mistakes and they're not afraid of it. And when it happens, a leader will protect the dignity of the individual that made the mistake. A leader is more interested in the success of his followers than his own. It's like with children. More interested in their well-being, in their success, in their health, in their wholeness, in their accomplishment than you are with your own. 
That's leadership. So this produces powerful people throughout an organization and not just on top. The goal of trust-based leadership is that the people that are on the front lines way out here that shouldn't have the responsibility, have the same authority that the person in the back room who's got all the power. The goal is to have your decision makers on the front line having the same authority and responsibility as the people all the way at the top. You want integrity and you want powerful people throughout your entire organization, which means there has to be a constant passing on of responsibility and of authority. It creates a strength and integrity of vision throughout the entire organization. Organizations that function this way, they're almost unshakable because everyone is carrying the vision that's the same. From the top to the bottom, there's integrity. The culture is the same. The drive is the same. The vision is the same, top to bottom. So you can't chip away at a culture. You can't chip away at an organization that has integrity from top to bottom. How organizations crumble are where you separate the integrity of the organization, either through authority, through responsibility, through culture, through vision. You find a separation or a break in the armor, and you press in there, and that's when organizations come apart. But when there's integrity from top to bottom, organizations can flourish. They can continue to grow. Trust-based leadership will produce the potential for growth and thus more opportunity for others and newcomers. So when you trust another group of people and another group of people and another group of people and another group of people, each generation of leaders grows. If you start with one and they mentor three, and then each of those three mentors three, have you guys ever done the math on one of these things? Like, what would you rather have, a million dollars or a penny that doubles every day for a month? Do the penny thing. It's way more. And it's because when we lead just one or two, it grows with each generation. That's the goal of trust-based leadership is I'm going to pour myself into heart, soul, mind, and strength into three or four people. And then each of those three or four is going to pour themselves into three or four people. You know what? Three generations down, we've got 16. If those 16 now pour themselves into another four, you've got 64. It grows so quickly, and each generation are empowered and entrusted and authoritative leaders, and organizations are able to grow. And it produces opportunity for those who would otherwise not have it. How many of us in this room have a master's degree in leadership? None. None of us do. And yet we're being entrusted to lead and steward the lives of others. We're being given opportunity. We're being entrusted with things that we should have no right to be given, and yet we're being found faithful. You're being found faithful as leaders, and it's being entrusted to you in spite of your lack of qualification. You will develop the qualifications that no master's or doctorate degree in leadership could ever get you. Experience is a far greater crucible for leadership than is school. Every time. So trust-based leadership is essential because it's also uh, one of the ways that, that marriage functions and all of our relationships function. We are in authoritative relationships every single day. And knowing how to follow and knowing how to lead 
is what qualifies us to be able to steward more, develop more, and bear more fruit. This kind of leadership is a model for being a fruitful person in regard to the development of other people for the rest of your life. We'll pray. Then the leaders are going to meet, yeah? And um, I have... I have notes for you because Ryan requested notes. So um, I wrote up notes for the, the two leaders groups that are meeting. So I'm going to pray and then we'll, uh, we'll be done. So Father, we thank you for your word. Jesus, we thank you for being the greatest leader who's ever walked the earth. Jesus, we thank you for um, both having and possessing authority and then trusting us with it. We thank you for giving us responsibility and calling us to something greater than we would have ever called ourselves to or chosen for ourselves. So I ask, Lord, today that there would be a burning that would develop in the hearts of each one here to see another generation raised up behind them. That they wouldn't be satisfied just with their own existence and coming into their own and their own success and prosperity, but they would look to the development and the success of a generation behind them and the generation behind them. Father, that you would turn the hearts of the sons to the fathers and the hearts of the fathers to the sons in this place. Lord, that we would be a multi-generational people. So Father, raise up leaders here that you will strategically position in places throughout our nation places of influence, places of might. A man with with great gifts and skills, he will stand before kings, Lord. So raise up people here in this place that have tremendous skill sets, wisdom, and leadership. We love you, Father. We thank you. Amen.